Chapter Four of Bashan and I by Thomas Mann. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: The Hunting Grounds, Part Two. So much for the sheep. Closely adjacent to the farm buildings on the left, there is an extensive colony of small market gardens. These are owned and tended by the clerks and working men of the city, and are the source of much joy, exercise, and considerable supplies of cheap flowers and vegetables. The gardens have a cemetery-like effect with their many arbors and summer houses, built in imitation of tiny chapels, and with their countless small fenced-in plots. The whole is enclosed by a wooden fence with an ornamental gateway no one however except the small amateur gardeners is permitted to have admittance through this wooden grill at times i see some bare-armed man there digging up his little vegetable garden a square rod or so in size and always it seems to me as though he were digging his own grave beyond these gardens lie open meadows which are covered with mole hills and which extend to the edge of the central wooded region here, in addition to the mole hills, there are also great numbers of field mice, a fact which must be solemnly remarked in view of Bashan and his multiform joy in the chase. On the other side, that is to say to the right, the brook and the slope continue, the latter, as I have already indicated, in diverse configuration. At first covered with fir trees, it displays a dusky and sunless visage, later it transforms itself to a sand-pit which warmly refracts the beams of the sun still later it converts itself into a gravel-pit and then to a cataract of bricks just as though a house had been demolished higher up and the debris hurled down the slope this has imposed temporary difficulties upon the course of the brook but the brook rises equal to the occasion its waters mount a trifle and spread themselves out stained red by the dust of the broken brick and also discoloring the grass around the bank after this they flow the dearer and more gaily on their way with glistenings here and there upon the surface i have a great love for brooks as i have for all bodies of water from the ocean to the smallest scum-covered puddle when i happen to be in the mountains during the summer and chance to hear the secret splashing and gossip of such a streamlet then i must follow the liquid call even though it be distant and i cannot rest until i have found its hiding-place then face to face i make acquaintance with the talkative child of the crags and the heights beautiful are the proud torrential brooks which come down in crystalline thunder between pines and steep terraces of stone form green ice-cold pools in rocky baths and basins and then go plunging to the next step in a dissolution of snowy foam but i am also fond of looking upon the brooks of the flat land whether they be shallow so as scarcely to cover the polished silvery and slippery pebbles of their beds or as deep as little rivers which protected on both banks by low overhanging willows go shouldering themselves forward with a vigorous thrust flowing more swiftly in the middle than at the sides who being free to make his choice would not follow the course of the waters on his wanderings the attraction which water exercises upon the normal man is natural and mystically sympathetic man is a child of water our bodies are nine-tenths water and during a stage of our prenatal development we even have gills 
as for myself i gladly confess that the contemplation of water in every shape and form is for me the most immediate and poignant joy in nature yes i will even go so far as to say that true abstractedness true self-forgetfulness the real merging of my own circumscribed existence in the universal is granted to me only when my eyes lose themselves in some grand liquid mirror thus in the face of the sleeping or the charging and crashing of the onrushing sea i am like to be transported into a condition of such profound and organic dreams of such a remote absence from myself that all sense of time is lost and a tedium becomes a thing without meaning since hour upon hour spent in such identification and communion melt away as though they were but minutes but i also love to lean upon the rail of a bridge that crosses a brook and remain fixed to it as with thongs losing myself in the vision of the flowing streaming and whirling element quite immune to the fear or impatience with which i ought to be filled in the view of that other streaming and flowing that goes on about me the swift fluid flight of time such love of the water and all that water means renders the tight little territory which i inhabit the more important and precious to me in that it is surrounded on both sides by water the local brook is of the simple and faithful species there is nothing very remarkable about it its character is based upon friendly averages it is of a naivete as clear as glass without subtlety or deception without an attempt to simulate depth by means of murkiness it is shallow and dear and quite innocently reveals the fact that its bottom harbors castaway tin pots and the carcass of a lace boot in a coat of green slime it is however deep enough to serve as a habitation to pretty silvery-gray and extremely nimble little fish which i presume are minnows and which dart away in wide zigzag lines at our approach my brook widens here and there into ponds with fine willows along the edges one of these willows i always regard lovingly as i pass by it grows i had almost said she grows close to the bluff and thus at some distance from the water but it stretches one of its boughs longingly towards the brook and has really succeeded in reaching the flowing water with the silvery foliage that plumes the tip of this bough there it stands with fay-like fingers wet in the stream and draws pleasure from the contact it is good to walk here lightly assailed by the warm summer wind the weather is warm so it is probable that bashan will go wading into the brook to cool his belly only his belly for he has a distinct aversion to bringing the more elevated parts of his anatomy in contact with the water there he stands with his ears laid back and an expression of piety and alertness upon his face and lets the water swirl around him and past him after this he comes sidling up to me in order to shake himself an operation which according to his own conviction must occur in my immediate vicinity the vigor with which he shakes himself causes a thin spray of water and mud to fly my way it is no use warding him off with flourished stick and intense abjurgations 
under no conditions will he tolerate any interference with anything that appears to him natural inevitable and according to the fitness of things farther on the brook in pursuing its course towards the setting sun reaches a small hamlet which commands a view towards the north between the woods and the slope and at the entrance to this hamlet lies the tavern here the brook once more broadens into a pond the women of the village kneel at the edge of this and wash their linen a little footbridge crosses the stream should you venture over you will set foot upon a road which leads from the village towards the city running between the edge of the wood and the edge of the meadow should you leave this road on the right you will be able to reach the river in a few steps by means of a wagon road that cuts through the wood we are now within the zone of the river the river itself lies before us green and streaked with white and full of liquid roarings it is actually only a great mountain torrent its everlasting rushing sound can be heard with a more or less muffled reverberation everywhere throughout the region here it swells and crashes overwhelmingly upon the ears it might in fact serve as a substitute for the sacred and sounding onset of the sea if no sea is to be had the ceaseless cry of innumerable land gulls intermingles with the voice of the stream in autumn and in winter and even during the spring these gulls go circling round and round the mouth of the overflow pipes filling the air with their screams here they find their food until the season grows milder and permits them to make their way to the lakes and the hills like the wild and half-wild ducks which also spend the cool and the cold months in the vicinity of the city balance themselves on the waves permit themselves to be carried by the current which turns them round and rocks them at will and then just at the moment when some rapid or whirlpool threatens to engulf them fly up with light and vibrant wing and settle down once more upon the water a little farther upstream the region of the river is arranged and classified as follows close to the edge of the wood there stretches a broad level of gravel this is a continuation of the poplar avenue which i have mentioned so frequently and runs say for about a kilometre downstream that is to say to the little ferryman's house of which more anon behind this the thicket comes closer to the river channel the purpose of this desert of gravel is clear it is the first and most prominent of the longitudinal streets and was lavishly planned by the real estate company as a charming and picturesque esplanade for elegant turnouts with visions of gentlemen on horseback approaching spick and span landaus and victorias glistening in their enamel and engaging in delicate badinage with smiling and beauteous ladies reclining at ease under dainty parasols close to the ferryman's house there is a huge signboard in a state of advanced decrepitude this proclaims what was to have been the immediate goal the temporary termination of the carriage corso for there in broad and blatant letters you may read that this corner site is for sale for the erection of a park cafe and a fashionable refreshment establishment well the purpose remains unfulfilled and the building site is empty 
for in place of the park cafe with its little tables its hurrying waiters and glass and cup sipping and straw-sucking guests there is only the big wooden signboard a slant a resigned collapsing bid without a bidder and the corso itself only a waste of coarsest gravel covered with willow bushes and with blue sage almost as thickly as the goethe or lessing streets alongside the esplanade nearer to the river there runs a smaller gravel way which is also overgrown with insurgent shrubbery it is characterized by grass mounds which arise at intervals and from which telegraph poles mount into the air yet i am fond of frequenting this road on my walks first because of the change and second because the gravel permits of clean though somewhat difficult locomotion when the clayey footpath yonder does not appear passable during the days of heavy rain this footpath actually the real promenade runs for miles along the river and then finally degenerates into wild haphazard trails along the bank it is lined along the riverside with saplings maple and birch and on the land side it is flanked by the mighty primitive inhabitants of the region willows aspens and silver poplars all of them colossal in their dimensions the escarpment plunges steeply and sheerly towards the river-bed it is protected by ingenious works of woven willow widths and by a concrete armour along its lower parts against the mounting flood-water which once or twice a year comes rolling hither when the snows melt in the mountains or the rain overdoes itself here and there the slope hospitably offers one the use of wooden steps half ladders and half stairs by means of which one may with a fair degree of comfort descend upon the actual river bed which is usually quite dry it is the reserve gravel bed of the big wild brook and is about six meters wide the stream behaves like all other members of its family the small as well as the smallest that is to say according to the weather and the water conditions in the upper mountain regions sometimes its course will be a mere green flowing tunnel with the rocks scarcely covered and with the gulls appearing to stand stilt-legged on the very surface itself and then again it will assume a most formidable character swelling into a wide stream filling its bed with grey watery fury and tumult and bearing along in its headlong course all kinds of unseemly objects such as old baskets pieces of wooden crates bushes and dead cats in its circling wrath and showing a great disposition to flooding and to deeds of violence the reserve or overflow channel is also armoured against high water by the same parallel slanting and hurdle-like arrangements of willow branches it is covered with beech grass and wild oats as well as with the show plant of the neighbourhood the dry omnipresent blue sage it offers good walking thanks to the strip of quay formed of tooled and even stone which runs along the extreme limit of the water this gives me a further and in fact favourite possibility of adding variety to my promenades it is true that the unyielding stone is not particularly good going but one is fully recompensed by the intimate proximity of the water then one is also able now and then to walk in the sand beside the quay 
yes there is real sand there between the gravel and the beach grass sand that is a trifle mixed with clay and not so sacredly pure as that of the sea but nevertheless real sand that has been washed up i am thus able to fancy myself strolling upon a real strand down there inscrutably drawing my foot along the perilous edge of the salt flood there is no lack of surgings even if there is of surges nor of the clamour of gulls nor of that kind of space annihilating monotony which lulls one into a sort of narcotic absent-mindedness the level cataracts are rushing and roaring all around and halfway to the ferryman's house the voice of a waterfall joins the chorus from over yonder where the canal debouching at a slant pours itself into a river the body of this fall is arched smooth glassy like that of a fish and an everlasting boiling tumult goes on at its base it is beautiful here when the sky is blue and the flat ferry decorated with a pennant in honour of the weather or some other festival occasion there are other boats in this spot but the ferry is fastened to a wire rope which in turn is fastened to another and thicker wire cable this is stretched across the river in such a way as to let a pulley run along it the current itself furnishes the motive power for the ferry-boat and a pressure from the ferryman's hand upon the rudder does the rest the ferryman lives in the ferry-house with his wife and child and this house lies a short distance from the upper footpath it has a little garden and a hen-house and is evidently an official dwelling and therefore rent-free it is a kind of villa of lilliputian proportions lightly and whimsically built with little bays and gables and appears to boast of two rooms below and two above i love to sit on the bench in front of the garden close to the upper footpath bashan then squats upon my foot the hens of the ferryman amble about me and give their heads a forward jerk with every step and usually the cock comes to perch upon the back of the bench and lets the green bursagliere feathers of his tail hang down behind sitting beside me thus and measuring me luridly from the side of his red eye i watch the traffic on the ferry it could scarcely be called strenuous nor even lively for it consummates itself at large and liberal intervals so i find all the more pleasure in the scene when a man or a woman with a market-basket appears on the farther bank and demands to be carried across the river for the poetic element in that fine call fairy ahoy remains full of human captivation as in ancient days even though the action fulfils itself as here in new and progressive forms double steps of wood for the coming and departing traveller lead down the escarpment on both sides into the bed of the river and to the landing-places and on both sides there is an electric button affixed to the rail a man appears on the other bank stands still and peers across the water no longer however as in former times does he hollow his hands into a trumpet and shout through them he walks towards the push-button stretches out his arms and performs a slight pressure with his thumb there is a clear thin tinkle in the house of the ferryman this is the modern ferry ahoy and it is poetic even thus there stands the prospective passenger and watches and waits 
and almost at the very moment at which the bell tinkles the ferryman comes out of his little house just as though he had stood or sat behind the door merely waiting for the signal the ferryman i repeat comes out and in his walk there is something which suggests that he has been set in motion directly by the pressure upon the push-button just as one may shoot at a door in a tiny hut upon the targets in the shooting galleries if you chance to make a bull's-eye it flies open and a tiny figure comes out say a milkmaid or a soldier without showing the slightest sign of undue haste the ferryman walks with swinging arms through his little garden crosses the footpath descends the wooden steps to the river pushes off the ferry and holds the rudder whilst the pulley runs along the taut wire and the boat is driven across by the current the boat bumps against the other bank the stranger jumps in upon reaching the hither bank he hands the ferryman a nickel coin and leaps up the wooden steps with alacrity he has conquered the river and turns either to the right or to the left sometimes when the ferryman is prevented from being at his post either through illness or more urgent household affairs then his wife or even his child will come out of the house and fetch the stranger across they are able to perform this office as well as he even i could attend to it the job of the ferryman is an easy one and requires no special capacity or training surely he is a lucky man this ferrymaster in having such a job and being able to live in the neat dwarf villa any fool would at once be able to step into his place and the knowledge of this keeps him modest and grateful on the way back to his house he greets me very politely with grusgott as i sit there on the wooden bench between the dog and the rooster it is clear that he wishes to remain on a good footing with everyone a smell of tar a wind brushing across the waters and a plashing sound against the wooden sides of the boats what more could i desire sometimes i am seized by another memory of home it comes upon me when the water is deep and still and there is a somewhat musty odour in the air and then these things take me back to the laguna back to venice where i spent so many years of my youth and then again there is storm and there is flood and the everlasting rain comes pouring down wrapped in a rubber coat with wet and streaming face i brace myself against the stiff west wind along the upper way a wind that tears the young poplars from their poles and makes it clear why the trees here incline away from the west and have crowns which grow only from one side of the branches when we go walking in rains such as these bashan frequently stands still and shakes himself so that he is the dark centre of a dull grey flurry of water the river at such times is a different river swollen murky yellow it comes rolling on wearing upon its face an ominous catastrophic look this storm flood is full of a lurching crowding tremendous haste an insensate hurry it usurps the entire reserve channel up to the very edge of the escarpment and leaps up against the concrete walls the protective works of willow boughs so that one involuntarily utters thanks to the wise forethought which established these defences the eerie thing about these floodwaters is that the river grows quiet much quieter than usual in fact it becomes almost silent the customary surface rapids are no longer visible 
the stream rolls too high for these but the spots where these rapids were are to be recognized by the deeper hollows and the higher waves and by the fact that the crests of these waves curl over backwards and not forwards like the waves of the current the waterfall no longer plays a part its glistening curved body is now flat and meagre and the pother at its base has vanished through the height of the water level so far as bashan is concerned his astonishment at such a change in the aspect of things is beyond expression he remains in a state of constant amazement he is unable to realize that the places in which he has been accustomed to trot and run should have vanished should have utterly vanished think of it and that there should be nothing there but water water in his fright he scampers up the escarpment in a kind of panic away from the plunging spattering flood and looks around at me with waggings of his tail after which he casts further dubious glances at the water a kind of embarrassment comes upon him and he gives way to a trick of his opening his mouth obliquely and thrusting his tongue into the corners a play of feature which affects one as being as much human as it is animal as a means of expression it is somewhat unrefined and subservient but thoroughly comprehensible the whole effect is about the same as would be conveyed by a rather simple-minded yokel in the face of an awkward situation provided he went so far as to scratch his head as bashan scratches his neck having occupied myself in some detail with the zone of the river and described the whole region i believe that i have succeeded in giving my readers a picture of it i rather like my own description of the place or rather the place as presented in my description but i like it still better as a piece of nature for there is no doubt that as a piece of living nature it is still more diversified and vivid just as bashan himself is in reality warmer more lively and lovable than in this counterfeit presentment i am attached to this stretch of landscape and grateful to it and so i have described it with somewhat of the meticulosity with which the old dutch masters painted it is my park and my solitude and it is for this reason that i have sought to conjure it up before the reader's eye my thoughts and my dreams are mingled and intergrown with its scenes like the leaves of its creepers with the stems of its trees i have looked upon it at all hours and at all seasons in autumn when the chemical smell of the fading leaves fills the air when the white legions of the thistledown have all been blown to the winds when the great beeches of the Kulgarten spread a rust-coloured carpet of leaves about them on the meadows and when afternoons dripping with gold merge into theatrically romantic twilights with the crescent moon swimming in the skies with a milky brew of mist hovering over the levels and the afterglow of the sunset smouldering through the dark silhouettes of the trees and also in winter when all the gravel is covered with snow and soft and smooth so that one may walk upon it in one's rubber overshoes and when the river goes shooting black between the pale frost-bound shores and the cry of hundreds of fresh-water gulls fills the air from morning to evening nevertheless the easiest and most familiar intercourse with this landscape 
is during the mild months when no special equipment in the way of defensive clothing is necessary and one may go for a quick stroll for a quarter of an hour betwixt and between two showers of rain and in passing bend aside the branch of a black alder tree and cast a look into the wandering waves it is possible that visitors have been to call upon me and i have been left behind stranded as it were within my own four walls crushed by conversation and with the breath of the strangers apparently still hanging in the air it is good then to go at once and loaf for a while along the heine or schiller street to draw a breath of fresh air and to anoint myself with nature i look up to the heavens peer into the green depths of the world of tender and delicate leaves my nerves recover themselves and grow quiet peace and serenity return to my spirit bashan is always with me on such forays he had not been able to prevent an invasion of the house by the outer world in the shape of the visitors even though he had lifted up his voice in loud and terrible protest but that had done no good and so he had stepped aside and now he is jubilant that he and i are once more together in the hunting grounds with one ear turned carelessly inside out and loping obliquely as is the common habit of dogs that is with his hind legs moving not directly behind his front legs but somewhat to the side he goes trotting on the gravel in front of me and suddenly i see that some tremendous emotion has seized him body and soul his short bobbed tail begins to wave furiously his head lunges forward and to one side his body stretches and extends itself he jumps hither and thither and the next moment with his nose still glued to the ground he goes darting off he has struck a scent he is on the spoor of a rabbit End of chapter 4 part 2